All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Colossians 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Colossians 4. Lord, we thank you for the worship time we've had so far, and we can see the kids out back playing on the beautiful land that you provided for them. And, and uh, we pray that as we take this time, as, uh, as Aaron already prayed, to sit at your feet for a little bit, to find some rest, some comfort, and uh, we pray that you do that tonight, that you'd encourage us. As Paul goes through many of the people that are alongside of him in the ministry, I pray that you'd um, encourage us in all the areas that you've called us to. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is interesting um, as we uh, think about organization. Um, yeah, that's a big controversy. I don't know why it is, but it, 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 we, as Christians, we just love controversy. So, um, but it is, uh, you know, uh, organized religion. You know, hate organized religion, or, or uh, oh, there's just too much uh, politics in 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 the church today, and all. And and you just really got to when people say those things, you really have to stop them and ask them. Now, what do you mean by that exactly? Let's get down to what you're talking about because. Our God is very much a God of order. Um, what Paul does isn't, isn't fun. I mean, the last song we just sang, Jesus, we love you. I mean, everybody wants to spend all day just doing that. But then there comes letters you got to write sometimes. And Paul takes on the hard stuff that has to do with dealing with people and groups and organization and sound doctrine and false teaching and all the things that came along with Christ and his church. And so before we get too excited about just venturing off into the wilderness by ourselves and just having church by ourselves, which there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but we're, we're called to be together. He says, I don't want you to forsake the assembling together of the brethren, which is the manner of some. It's a command. It isn't even a request. I want you to get together. Acts 2.42, I want you to continue steadfastly, that means unwaveringly, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. I want you to do that together. Now, why do you think he has to say that to us? Why do you think he has to command us to do that? Because we know each other. And it's hard sometimes to get along. And it's easier to just put everybody out of your life. You know, that's the world's solution. Just cancel people. And God says, I will not let you do that to your brothers and sisters, to my children. I want you to stay together, and I want you to work things out, and I want you to talk to each other, and I want you to pray for each other, you know? And so that's why I appreciate this chapter four, the hard, difficult job for Paul to have such a burden for all these people and hear about all the controversies and all the churches that he started or that he heard about, you know? And so he's got to be in prison not worrying about his own needs and what's going to happen to him tomorrow, but he's got such a burden for everybody that he, I got to write these letters to get things straightened off because I might die. He's more concerned about getting things straightened out in all these other churches in case he dies and doesn't get to be there in person. He was committed. He was all in. And um, God does love order. He sets up some to be teachers and to be pastors, to be prophets and evangelists and to be helpers and gives gifts of the Spirit to everybody to help 
the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ, to build them up. He never wants us to be, um, you know, disembodied from one another or from Christ even, you know. Hand over there and a finger over there and a foot over there and a toe over there. That's a, that's a grotesque scene to the Lord. I want a healthy functioning body and I'm the head. And uh, if you want to be a part of my body, you have to be a part of my body. You got to be there, you know. So I appreciate this. So as he went through last week, some very wonderful practical things about marriage and about children and about being a, a good hard worker in the name of Jesus. He, this, this first verse in chapter 4, you can obviously tell it really needs to be with chapter 3. He says, Masters, employers, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You can see him completing the thought. You know, employees, do your best. Don't steal. Employers, make sure you make sure they don't feel the need to steal. Take care of them. You know, provide for them. Um, there is no... Uh, setting aside your Christianity for uh, when you own your own business. There isn't. It's part of you. It's who you are. As it, it should define you as, a, as an employer. It should define you as an employee. It, it doesn't matter who you're working for, whether they're worthy of your best work. Um, it's Christ that you work for. They're worthy. He's worthy of your best work. You know? And likewise, as masters, it doesn't mean you know, that... You have to keep bad employees around. You can certainly let them, let them go, but make sure you're taking care of them and not taking advantage of the good ones, you know, uh, seeing how little you can get away with. That's a, a recent statistic, you know. Um, you know there's, a, there's a big trend of people jumping jobs after three years, and that's the only way to get ahead. And, of course, us old school folks are like, uh-uh, longevity, loyalty. Not, well, guess what? It's not rewarded. It isn't rewarded anymore. They found out that you make more money if you switch jobs every two to three years as opposed to staying at a job for 30 years because the employer sees that they're not going to lose you. They'll give you the 3% raise and you'll be glad to have it as opposed to the 5 or 10% that the next job will offer you. And so there's something wrong there. There's a disconnect. And I think every Christian business owner should think about that and know those things. We don't try to just get our employees by and try to reduce our labor costs. We should be... Well, we should be like Boaz, who takes care of his employees, you know. So I think that's very important. I don't, I don't want to skip over that just because it should have gone with last week's teaching. I think many of us, especially as, as we get older, are finding ourselves in those positions where there are people that work for us and we're not working for them so much. Um, and that just happens. I think that's a natural transition. that um, we need to make sure that we're, we're really taking care of them better than what we got. I think. I think that's important. So now he switches gears a little bit. After dealing with some of the practical things of what the body of Christ should look like as far as in the world, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And that's the right way to use the word manifest. You'll find the wrong way to use the word manifest more and more today. Manifest just simply means that I want to display or show the truth. I want to display or show whatever it is I'm manifesting. And Paul says, when you pray for me, make sure that when I'm, when you're praying for me, pray that I would be clear. That's so important. Simple and clear. And I think I would add to that concise about the mysteries of Christ, because it is a mystery, you know. 
Um, what do you mean Christ? We thought Christ was going to come, and they had all sorts of ideas. We've talked about that, like a Moses, someone who's going to take care of us and set up his kingdom here, and we're going to have a really good, a really good king like David or like Solomon was a king in our lives. He says, no, I've come for a different reason. And so the mystery was um, the mission that Christ came for wasn't what they expected. And so Paul has to, I go around explaining that to, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, what this Jesus came to do. And it takes some explaining because you've got to undo all the rabbinical teaching that was wrong. And then you've got to fill it in and say that they, they thought this, but that's not what happened. This is what happened. And I need to be a good teacher, Paul says. Because the most important thing to Paul was for people to understand this. Because once they understood it, they received it. Once they received it, they were changed by it. Once they were changed by it, the world was turned right side up. He knew how important that was. So pray that I'm clear. Pray that I'd manifest that to them, that I'd explain the mystery of Christ. He continues, not only do I want you to pray for me, I want you to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. And he means unbelievers when he talks about, I'll give you cross references for that. Redeeming the time. I want you to take the time to think about how you're dealing with and walking amongst the unbelievers, how you're manifesting Christ to them, how you're revealing in your own walk, but in your speech as well, Jesus to the people around you. And I want you to redeem the time as if it's never going to come back, which it doesn't. You lose time. You can never get that time back. And I want you to think about that. When you walk out there in this world, a lot of us leave our homes with our armor on, battle ready just so we can make it back home again without sinning or without, I don't know, running into someone we didn't want to run into. And God says, no, that's not what I want. I want you to get out there and I want you to redeem the time while you're out there. Manifest, show Christ to all you come in contact with once you leave your front door, as well as those in your home. But make sure you're doing that. Those are the believers, we hope, in our homes. But um, Redeem the time. Let your speech always be with grace. That's an interesting word, always. It means always. <laughs> Not sometimes. I want your speech always to be seasoned. I want it to be like salt. I want it to change. I want it to be that, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, not everybody's the same. I don't have the same standard answer. My three-by-five note card on how to express Christ to those around me doesn't work for everybody. A lot of people have different questions, different problems with Christ, with the church, with becoming a believer, different things they're trying to figure out. And I need to know how to answer each person so that I don't lose them. We spend a lot of time, and, and I think especially with the political climate and the way uh, we're divided in this country, and I, I'm all for division, don't get me wrong, between Christ and you know, believers and unbelievers, between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. I think that's a natural division. Jesus said so. It's the other divisions that are causing us to uh, miss our opportunity to minister, I think. We have to be very careful about that, because I don't want to just make sure you know you're wrong and that I'm right. The goal of a Christian is so that they become Christians. Okay, We're not trying to sell for sure. We're not trying to sell Jesus. We are trying to represent him properly. We do need to treat people as if we want them to be a part of our family. You know, We don't want to have such a conversation with an unbeliever in a way that they'll never, ever be in your face again, that they'll never, ever 
want to join Christ's church, you know. Um, and so he says, you need to be very careful about that. Redeem the time. Be careful how you walk. Walk in wisdom. Um, that's in knowledge, and that's knowledge being used appropriately. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, Paul writes to them, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go outside of this world. I never called you to become monks on top of some mountaintop isolated from the world. Because then you'd have to go out of the world. If you're, and, and, and then even there, you're going to have your own problems there at the monastery because you're around people. Unless it was a monastery of one, you're going to have, and even then, <laughs> you're still around people with issues. You. No, I want you to steer clear of brothers and sisters. Now, why? See, you'd think it'd be the other way around. Steer clear of the world. You know, we need to get a compound down in Venezuela, you know, and, and live together as a happy, big, happy family. We wouldn't be a big, family, happy family because we're still bringing sin with us wherever we go. No, he's saying, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean for you to isolate yourself from the world. I want you in the world. You're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. You're supposed to be in the world. Not of it, but in it. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. That's called church discipline is what he's talking about there. I want you to be careful that you don't accept the sin of a brother or sister in the Lord and make them feel affirmed in their sin. Mm -mm. Unbelievers, you shouldn't expect anything less from them because they're not believers. They're not spiritually awake. They're not ready. They've never been born again. Of course, they're going to act like a natural man, a brute beast. They're supposed to. That's who they are. That's who you were. But brothers and sisters, anybody that says they are anyway, is supposed to know better. And they're supposed to walk differently. They're supposed to be changed from the inside out where we expect more from a believer in Jesus Christ. And so he says, that's what I was talking about. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? There's the same word used. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. Okay, so God takes care of the outside, not you, but we take care of the inside. We're called to that. Don't judge me, brother. No, it's exactly what we're supposed to do, you know, not to the point where we think we're better because we've got our own problems, but we are, we are to hold each other accountable. So that's where he uses the word outside. In other places, Colossians 4, 5, we just read it. 1 Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. If you're going to have a leader in the church, the world needs to see them as a positive person, as someone who is, has a good testimony among, uh, among the world. Um, that's important. Doesn't mean they're a part of it. It doesn't mean they're corrupt like the world is, but they have a, there's a good rapport. They have a relationship because you're an ambassador. You know, can you imagine being an ambassador to China or Russia as a United States citizen? That'd be hard, honestly. I'd be walking around, stomping around with my American flag all through the Tiananmen Square, you know. We, we don't run our people over with tanks, you know. Well, that's not what you're called to do. 
You're called to be an ambassador for, for the United States of America. You're there to represent. You're there to, uh, you don't have to uh, compromise. Don't get me wrong. You still have all those rights and, and you want China to have those rights as well. You want them to adopt, uh, you know, a republic. But um, so likewise with Christianity, it's the same thing. I'm not here to stomp around and saying you're all wicked and going to hell, although that's true. The message needs to be followed up with. That may be true, and so was I, but I've been saved, and so can you, you know? So he wants us to be good representatives. And so if you're going to have somebody in leadership, in the fellowship, in the church, they need to have a good testimony from those who are outside. And I'm only giving you these cross-references so you understand the word outside means unbelievers. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Revelation 22.15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual moral immoral, um, sexually immoral, and in murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And then finally, Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I want to tie all that together. We need to redeem the time. Um, you need to have your speech seasoned with salt. Now, salt does a couple things, and we probably all know. Uh, one is it's a preservative, but it also adds flavor too. Um, both are very important. Um, you would rub the salt on the meat and things and stop the growth and arrest the growth of the bacteria on it and keep it preserved. You know, And so we do want to be that kind of person, that kind of Christian in the world. We want to make sure that we're preserving goodness and we're shunning and pushing back against evil and darkness. Okay, And so we want to be salt. Um, but likewise, we want to bring flavor too. Um, I don't want to just be bitter. I don't want to just be sharp. I don't want to just hurt and cause pain like salt on a wound not interested. I mean, that's part of it, but I don't want to be that only. I also want to be seasoned. I want to season my words with grace. There needs to be grace. That is what draws people to the Lord. Unmerited favor, seeing that he loves them, seeing that he's for them. He's not just throwing people into hell because he's bitter or angry or or resentful. It's, It's because you're impure. You are, you are a problem. You'll spread. You'll cause disease. The, sin of, the, the disease of sin will spread. I want that to stop. And we need to be a part of that solution with the Lord. He's called us to that. So redeem that time. Don't waste that time. That time is precious. It doesn't, we don't know how much longer we have with each person before they move away or before they're out of their life or before they pass on to be, well, into eternity, wherever that may be. Redeem that time. Don't waste it. Now, he goes through several people here in the next, well, all the rest of the verses here, who are in the ministry. These are names for different reasons and for different ministries they were called, and some were doing great and some weren't doing so great. Um, But by name, he names them to the church in in Colossae. Um, And I, and I, I think we forget sometimes that it's not just Paul out there, you know, lone rangering, you know, in the wild west of, of Israel and, and, and the surrounding areas. He had people alongside that were called to be his helpers in the ministry um, and were invaluable to him to do things he couldn't do. He's in prison most of the time. He's also beat up most of the time. So he needed a lot of help. And um, they all had their own ministries. Every person has a ministry. Every single person has a ministry. And it's not to attend. And it's not to collect data or Bible studies. It's to It's to serve. We're all called to that in one way or another. And so our first one is Tychicus. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. 
He will tell you all the news about me. Now, I'm going to send him to you with this letter, and he's going to fill you in on the things I didn't write about, how I'm doing. You know, I didn't want to waste the time doing that, but he'll fill you in. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart, hearts with Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. And so he sends them out two by two in the same uh, manner of Jesus um, to support one another and to encourage one another. He calls them to that. So here's some interesting places where Tychicus is meant as Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristocharis and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophomus or Trophomus um, of Asia. They're all with me here in Acts chapter 20. So there's a bunch of folks that you don't hear much about. Um, not everybody gets written in the Bible. There aren't just Davids in the Bible. There aren't just Solomons in the Bible. These were written to encourage us and all, but there's for every one of those, there's 10,000 other believers in God that were walking the earth, doing their thing, that, that didn't get documented. You know, um, That's all of us. No one's going to write a book about Maryville, Missouri, you know, Calvary Chapel, Maryville, Missouri. But amazing things were done here by all the people that attended and came and considered this their home fellowship, as well as other places. Um, God wants to do that. Another place he's mentioned is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. He's invaluable to Paul to be able to do these things and to be trusted with that kind of mission. You know, he's going to represent God well, he's going to represent Jesus well, and he's going to represent Paul well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Just little moments, you know, as he tells this young pastor Timothy, here's where they all are. Here's where they're ministering and where they're serving. And it wasn't one spot. Oftentimes they're sent here, they're sent there. Be open to whatever God wants you to do and wherever he wants you to go. We spend a lot of time worrying about ourselves and our own walk. And I think that's normal. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine and those around you will get saved. But remember, you're taking heed to yourself and to your doctrine so that other people will get saved, you know, um, so that other people can uh, be reached by Jesus's gospel. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. Um, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Um, I might once send him, I might send Tychicus. I don't know who I'm going to send, um, but they're ready and available. That's the first part of being in the ministry or being used by God in any way. Are you available? It's hard to, uh, I remember when we first started putting together the worship band and everything. And Oh, I really want to be on the worship band. And, oh, I want, I play the piano or I do this and I do that. So that's great. That's great. Here are the requirements to be on the team here. And that's when everybody would be like, oh, most. It's, it's not easy. They're here at 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings for practice. And then they take a break after an hour of practice, they eat breakfast, they get back up here, and then they practice again. And they do that week after week after week after week after week after week for years, for years. They did. Well, I can't do that, but I can come every third Thursday. Can't do it. You've got to be available. Same for cleaning or same for children's ministry or same for any part of the ministry. You've got to be available. Uh, 
that's the first thing. Um, if you're not available, that's fine. Maybe it's just not the ministry for you. Find something else or make yourself available for those things. It doesn't have to be at this fellowship. It just has to be useful for God anywhere. You know, oh, I'd love to, I'd love to spend more time going to the old folks' homes and, and doing Bible studies, but I don't have time. Well, wanting to do that, having a heart to do that, makes no difference in the kingdom of God if you're not available to do that. You see, you got to make decisions and sacrifices. That means you're not going to have those Saturday mornings where you got to sleep in and have donuts with the kids because you're at the nursing home because you've committed to that. You know, these guys have all committed. Onesimus, another one. Uh, he's, uh, he's the subject of Philemon, and that's a wonderful little book to read. Onesimus, is, uh, he's got an interesting background. Um, verse 8, we'll start there. Therefore, he says, uh, that I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, uh, the aged, and now also prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. The story is Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and Onesimus got tired of it and ran away. Well, Onesimus also got arrested later on and happened to be chained to a certain guy named Paul. Paul spent their redeemed time together by sharing the gospel with the Onesimus who ran away from his slave owner. And now realizing that he knows Philemon and Philemon's a believer and Onesimus wasn't when he ran away, but now Onesimus is a believer, writes a letter and says, you know, you got to go back. You know, you got to go back to this guy. You're like, wait, he's a slave. Well, yeah, but a bond slave, he's purchased you know, you've got to go back and fulfill your obligations, but I'll send you a letter to take back with you. And that might work. It might help. And Paul does pull some serious strings here. He says, well, if Onesimus owes you anything, put it on my account. What's Philemon going to say? You know, that's like Chuck Smith saying, hey, JD, I'd like so-and-so to come. But if you can't, if you can't receive him, I'll, I'll pay his way. Well, of course I'm going to let him come. I can't, what am I supposed to say to that? You know, so he does this letter for Onesimus, and Paul takes this guy on and brings him into the ministry because his life has changed. He isn't the person he was when he ran away. He's a whole new person now. He's useful for the ministry. He says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he may minister to me in my chains for the gospel. I would have loved to have keep, kept him, and he could have served me here, but I really felt he needed to go back. So take him back. It, it cost me dearly to send him back to you. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but volunteer, voluntary. I'd love for you to send him back to me voluntarily. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's Paul asking, I'm in prison, but you keep him if you really need him. I could really use him here, but you keep him, you know. I love it. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience... 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. In other words, I hope this goes well because I'm going to come stay at your house soon. You know, That's the kind of buddy you want on your side in the ministry. You, know? you want me to go back? I got you covered. I'm going to write you a letter. What kind of letter could you write? I can write a pretty good letter, Paul says, you know. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristocharis, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, many of those folks in that verse 23 and 24 are here in this letter also that we're reading. That's why I read it. That's why I took the time to do that. Onesimus, why am I taking the time? I know it's it's hard, but we can blow through a chapter like this and just say, oh yeah, and so-and-so is with him, and so-and-so is These are very, very important people in the kingdom of God. This man, Paul, was so instrumental, and the people were able to make him instrumental by being alongside of him and helping him in the ministry. It was so important that they were there. So when they're mentioned, it's not a small thing that they were on the other side of the jail bars taking the letters from Paul and running them to these other towns who had they had just as much a heart for these churches as Paul did. And if Paul couldn't get there, he knew his heart could be transferred to their heart to minister to their hearts. So important. That's how the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be geometrically growing. Not just adding to the church daily. That's fine. But geometrically, every heart goes out from this place or from your fellowship, wherever you attend. If you're watching online, you go out and you minister. And that's where the ministry takes place. That's where hearts get you. That's where people get saved. You can invite people to church so that they can hear the gospel. Fine. That's not what this place is for. It's not. This is a place for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so that when we go out, that's where the gospel gets shared. That's where evangelism takes place. People are far more comfortable hearing the gospel out there one-on-one with you than they are brought in saying, you really got to listen to this guy. Sit up front. Here's a coffee. You know, kind of thing. Get him, pastor. Okay. You know, (laughs) it's so much better with you just talking to people. That's the idea. And these guys were just there and available. Beautiful. Aristocharis, we just mentioned him. My fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who was called Justice. After Jesus, <laughs> you really don't want to be called Jesus anymore, so they go by different names. You know, That's why when they say Jesus of Nazareth, they had to clarify, because there's a lot of Jesuses out there. There's a lot of Joshuas or Yeshuas. Everybody was named Yeshua, you know? And so, when you, when you, Jesus, which, which Yeshua? Which Joshua? Oh, the one from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I thought maybe Jesus from Jerusalem or Jesus from wherever. But Je- So you get the idea. Je- he says, hey, don't call me Jesus anymore. How about Justice? I'll go by my other name, my surname. Call me Justice. Um, so that's why they clarify that in there. These are my uh, only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Um, these guys all say hi. They're all right here. I don't know how big a... A room this is where Paul's locked up, but there's a bunch of people there, you know, um, ready to, to continue the ministry regardless of his condition. The ministry goes on, you know, I love that. So who are these guys? 
Aristocars. Uh, Acts 19, verse 29. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, Aristarchus, uh, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. I don't know if you know the story. You can read of all chapter 19 to see what happened there. But Paul kind of escapes and they seize Gaius and, and this Aristarchus. He's going to get a beat down, okay, right alongside Paul. Acts 20, verse 4, just a few verses later. And Sopater Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus. In other words, he stayed. He missed those things. He just got attacked by a mob in the name of Paul's gospel that he preached. And a few verses later, he's still with Paul. Didn't get spooked by the, uh, you know, almost got drawn and quartered, pulled apart by a mob, still in the ministry. Secundus of Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Acts 27, 2, seven chapters later. So entering a ship of a, a dermatum, a, a dermatium, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. We put to sea meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with me. Paul was shipwrecked three times, and this is one of them. And he's with him, you know. Uh, This guy's going to float around on a piece of driftwood with Paul. I mean, these guys were tight. You know, we're, we're excited when we see each other at a men's breakfast, right? None of us have floated out in the sea, you know, for a couple days saying, I hope a shark doesn't eat us. You know, you're really close brothers after something like that takes place, you know. You know what, David, I bet you can, I bet you can attest to that. Those that go to Africa with you, there's a bond, isn't there? There's something about that, you know, when you go in the mission field with somebody or any other ministry like that, there's a bond that takes place, you know. Uh, Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 24, we already read that, but I'll say it again. As do Mark, Aristocaris, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Okay, so now Mark, John Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin, okay? He didn't do so well when he first went in the ministry. Uh, We'll read that in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul, remember Barnabas is the one that brought Saul in, brought him in to the ministry, returned from Jerusalem, when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. Hey, John, you young guy, Mark, come with us in the middle. We're going on the mission field. You want to go, I'd love to go in the mission field. He didn't want to go in the mission field. One chapter later. Now, and here's what happened. John Mark's with Paul and Barnabas. They're in the mission field. It is frontline stuff. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was uh, called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, or Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So there's John Mark. Here's what happens. Now, when they had gone through the island of Pam, uh, Pamphus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. 
<laughs> another Jesus out there, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And he blinded the guy. <laughs> now, I understand what's happening there, but I'm thinking about John Paul and the John John Mark in the background going, you know, I just, I thought we were going to eat snails and I was going to have to use to swallow, you know, some weird culture or something. We're in some serious stuff here. He doesn't do well. You will not, you're not going to see the sun for time. So a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed and saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Pamphys, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. It's too much. That's too much. You know, I can't, we ran into a sorcerer. This guy was throwing curses at us and we we almost got imprisoned we could have been killed out there i mean just the reality of this is real church stuff out here i'm going home and paul was not happy with that now barnabas is a little embarrassed and barnabas is a little more gracious with him it's his cousin for goodness sake you know but paul doesn't get that acts chapter 15 few chapters later, verses 36 through 42. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and now see what they're, let's see what they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Let's give John Mark a second shot. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. No, he couldn't hang. He's a baby. I don't want him alongside of us. You know, this is a big deal. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark, taking him with me into the mission field, whether you like it or not, and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I thought brothers were just supposed to get along. You know, I thought we were all just supposed to. No, it happens, you know. But the point of this whole thing and the reason I went through all that is we see here in Colossians that John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, is with Paul in the ministry. What happened? Somewhere along the line, it was okay. They figured it out. We have a couple examples of that. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Only Luke was with me, Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. I don't know what happened. But Paul either got over it or John Mark grew up, one of the two, and he's now useful, and I can do that. You know, It's important to know that we have weaknesses as ministers. As servants of God. Sometimes we do well, sometimes we don't do well. Sometimes we get scared, we get disheartened, and we get downcast. That happens. It takes a Barnabas in our life to bring us back to life again sometimes. And it takes a Paul to call us out on it, too. Look, grow up. It's not easy. 
Quit being so easily offended. Quit being so scared. Quit being so, this is serious stuff. We're talking about eternity here. Quit worrying about your feelings and your emotions and your well-being and start worrying about the feelings of others and taking care of the people. As a shepherd, you cannot be concerned about your well-being. It's the sheep. It's the sheep. That's what you're there for. And so he calls him on that. Now it works out. God works it out. And there he is. There's John Mark uh, with the group. Now, justice, we don't have much to this except for this. I've got time. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. This is Acts chapter 18, verse 7. He departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And they're both tent makers, and so they got along great. And he came to them, so uh, because he was of the same trade, tent makers, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Paul would do what he does. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to testify to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there, that synagogue, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who was worship, who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. That's a bold move. You know, go get him, Paul. Ah, they're not going to receive me here. Justice, is your house open? I guess. Come on over. We're going to have Bible study right next door to the synagogue. That's a bold thing. We've all got a role to play. We've all got missions to do. I think that's beautiful. That there he was at the right time in the right place. He worshiped God and said, of course, of course. And he goes on. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed uh, on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And so the, you could see the people leaving the synagogue and going to the house of justice. You know, So that's a great name for a church, by the way. Anyway, verse 12. Epaphras, back in Colossians. Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. We don't have much on him at all. That's it. <laughs> He's just a great guy. He labors for you in prayer. So that's what he's known for. This guy's always praying for you people. That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Areopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is also the writer of the book of Acts. Um, And he is a great physician, and he went along with Paul oftentimes. And when you read through the book of Acts, since it's written by Luke, sometimes it's first person, sometimes it's third, depending on whether he was with them on that journey or not. You can kind of see where Luke was and where he wasn't. It's kind of fun to read that way. He's this physician, patching Paul up now and then. But also a great witness as a physician to all the healings that were done in the name of Jesus, testifying that this was not normal medicine that we're seeing here. Demas greets you. Now, Demas is an interesting guy. Uh, Demas is this. I'm going to read a couple things to you. 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, uh, uh, Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Demas has forsaken me, he says to Timothy. Not everybody makes it. Not everybody stays, you know. 
Some people start well, but they don't finish well. I think that's important. Uh, a lot of people can walk away from the Lord, and they do. It happens in the ministry all the time. Um, we have to be careful about that. Guard our own hearts. Demas did not. He loved this present world. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Demas chose the world over God. And he decided to go back to it. Um, verse 16, we'll finish up here. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Um, and you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, we don't have that one, but I imagine it's a lot like this, but we don't have that one. And say to Archippus, <laughs> when you're reading this aloud in church, say to Archippus, Archippus hears his name as this is being read, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That's awkward. <laughs> hey, Archippus, that's me. You know, get back to work. Oh, you know, publicly rebuked um, in, in a nice way. But Paul's like, hey, don't walk away from the ministry that you were called for. Demas isn't here anymore. Get back to work. This salutation by my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's heart for uh, the church in Colossae and the church in Laodicea and how he wanted them so desperately to continue on and to do well, and to take heed, and to learn what it meant to be a follower of Christ, to be a son of God or a daughter of, of the Lord. And uh, he, he did everything he could, even from prison, to make sure. And we thank you. That's your heart. Paul had your heart. Um, he was filled with your Holy Spirit, and these letters are from you to us, God, and we thank you for that. Help us to take heed. There's a lot of names here. And... Uh, I don't want to put our names in their place, but we certainly all have a role in your kingdom. And I, and I just pray that we're living up to that role. We're doing what you've called us to do, that we are doing um, maybe what Archippus wasn't, that we're taking heed to our ministry and that we're fulfilling it, that we're doing it and not just sitting back, ignoring your call in our life, God. Um, help us to, to continue on with you and to press on and to do it in, to, in excellence, Lord, to the best of our ability, to the best of our giftings from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. I'm glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a, have a great rest of the week.